All right, everybody, welcome to the Deposit That podcast. Today, I'm super excited to have uh, not only a friend, but a super great guy, professional, family man, um, Ezron Bryson, head assistant athletic trainer of the New York Jets. Yeah. Welcome yeah, to the show. Thanks, thanks for coming. Appreciate it. I know you're a busy man coming up. Yeah, a little busy man coming up. Got a lot of things going on, but uh, carved out some time to be here today, uh, so I'm excited. I, I appreciate that. So before we get into anything, before we talk about money, real estate, business, life advice, I think it's super important to touch on the foundation of health, right? Whether you're an NFL athlete or just your everyday average Joe that comes in, checks in, checks out for work. So we're going to start with the foundation of building just the proper techniques people need to know about from getting up in the morning to going to bed and what we want to incorporate. But before we get into all that stuff, tell everybody about yourself. What's your background? Where'd you come from? And how did you get to the NFL being a trainer? So I'll actually work backwards here. So currently I'm, a, I'm an athletic trainer with the uh, New York Jets football team. The road to get there is not, not a typical road, but it actually started post high school when I was looking for majors for college. I actually didn't know what an athletic trainer was when I registered for classes. What year were you getting out of high school into college? Yeah, I was 2005. Actually, we'll go back a little further. So in high school, you had to declare majors. And I originally wanted to be somewhere in business or entrepreneurship. And they said, we don't have that. Yeah, entrepreneurship so, wasn't even around then. It wasn't really <laughs> around. And so then I decided, all right, well, let's pick up this architecture thing, right? So I, I majored in that for a while. So architecture. I, architecture. Like so building and stuff like that. Classes taught by architecture. Did you play with Legos when you were a kid or no? Well, I did. Uh, everybody <laughs> almost did. So, you know, architecture, AutoCAD, drafting programs, designing. Oh cutouts in my school high school Brooklyn Tech we actually had an actual first floor of a house that each year that class builds on it oh, wow. so we That's were the, cool. yeah we were the electrical insulation wow. so I got some hands-on experience with that well, electrical and body kind of goes hand in hand right so it's <laughs> the inner workers right yeah framework yeah. so you got your skeleton and, sure. then, and then you lay on that your muscle and your insulation and you know stuff like that so wow. it actually has some correlation yeah, if, you, cool. if you look at it from that dynamic after that, so I go enroll at Hofstra University. To play ball or no? No, just to, just to, just to be a student, <laughs> just to be a regular guy. In high school, yeah, I did play football. Didn't continue to do so. In college, I decided to focus on the academic side of things. Uh, once I got there, I enrolled to the athletic training program. I had never met an athletic trainer before. Ever. I didn't know what it was, but I was interested in something in sports medicine Actually, because of a chiropractor that I met in Brooklyn after I hurt myself a couple of times oh, okay. and he took care of me. So I wanted to do something in the medical industry. And that's what came about. But I didn't want to go to medical school. Once there, kind of opened my eyes a little bit. You know, I never dreamed of being an athletic trainer in the NFL. I didn't even really know the NFL had athletic trainers until I got the program. I always thought, you know, everybody has doctors and stuff to sure. take care of you, but you don't actually realize the guys that are responsible for that day-to-day -day care. As I got more engulfed into the program at Hofstra, I was like, man, this is pretty cool. Now, were you more enamored or interested in being around sports or taking care of people or both? At first, it was more being around sports and helping people to get better. And then it kind of just came one, you know, and this became the setting that I kind of fell in love with. And as I go, went through the program after my, or during my junior year, the professor of the program, or excuse me, the program director said, hey, what do you think about applying for a summer internship with the Jets? I think you'd be a great fit. I didn't even think that was possible. <laughs> you know, Did you I, know I, it was possible? No, I had no idea. It was one, it was one of the things that, you realize like, wow, when you look back at Dan, that was my start. And 
you didn't even know it at the time. You were just applying because at the time when I was at Hofstra, the Jets facility was still in Hempstead. That's right. So it was actually on campus. That's where the summer Summer training camp, the entire facility was there before they moved out of Jersey. And they'd always taken a student or two from Hofstra to help out training camp, off-season, summer camp, stuff like that. And I wound up being, I didn't get it my first time. I was just only a sophomore. After my junior year, it's where it kind of kicked in. And I was like the the extra intern there because I was local. I hey, help you're a pretty big guy. So were guys on the team like, you know, why are you not playing football? Or like, <laughs> why are you not trying out for the Jets? You know, like you look kind of like a linebacker, DM type, right? Tight back, maybe? Somewhat, but I mean, those guys will realize when they look at you and they, you know, you come in there in your shirt and your khaki yeah. shorts and they're like, okay, well, we know what this guy does. But every every now and then they'll, they'll ask, even till today, like, man, you sure you didn't play linebacker or something back in the day? Or, or hey, you're too strong to be doing this technique to me. So, you know, I, I get that a lot. But, you know, I always tell them, like, hey, I'm just trying to stay in shape just That's like it. you. Right? So after I finished that summer, Went back for senior year of college and started applying for graduate assistantships. Now, what is a graduate assistantship? So, graduate assistantship is a, is a two-year, generally, a two-year assistantship that you do at a university where you, you it's dual-rolled. So, you have your master's degree that you're going for as well as you get your two years working experience with a team or a sport or a couple sports or something like that. So, you get two years of actual working experience and you get your master's degree at the same time. Sounds like pretty cool. It's a pretty cool thing to do. At, at the collegiate level? At the collegiate level, generally, they there are some outsourcing that occurs with that, but you still have to take classes at some sort of university. I didn't get the hits, like I said before, that I was looking for, and I was actually considering going to physical therapy school. Applied to some things, got some interviews, and while I'm in the process, I get a call from the head athletic trainer of the Jets, and he goes, hey, how's things going? I'm like, you know, things are going well. Good, about to be a PT. <laughs> right, about to be a PT. I'm applying to this, this, that, and third. He goes, what do you think about, he's like, I'll call you back. So then he calls me back maybe the next day or two, and he goes, hey, you still thinking about going to that PT route, or you still thinking about going to these other schools, mid-major schools? Like, eh, what do you think about coming here for a year and doing an internship? And I'm like, that wasn't even on my radar. I mean, I, had, I didn't think that I was even going to get any shot at that, really. And then, you know, it wasn't my life's goal, but I'm glad I did it now. Um, looking it, back at it, you are back fully. Oh, yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. Glad I did it. Um, it was one of those things that, like you said, you look back and you say, man, if I would have went a different route with things had been the same today. And, and that was probably one of the pivotal moments that. Yeah, like if you would have gotten one of the opportunities that you were actually interested or thought you had a shot at, you would have never been where you are today. Maybe not. We don't like know. That, like if that call came two weeks earlier, three weeks later, you never know. I probably would have, you know, would have not been there. So, and that's the way it worked out. And so, I, you know, they, they go to a new facility in Jersey that same year. And, and so I'm the second class of interns technically to be at that facility. I think it's not letting get the real estate real quick, but how did you feel moving to Jersey coming from Brooklyn? I know you guys like look down <laughs> at Jersey, you know, especially coming from Brooklyn. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. It's like I mean, there, there's it's a lot Jersey. of us that look down. Um, <laughs> and so being at the facilities out in Florham Park, you, you kind of, as an intern, going to live in the neighboring towns. And obviously, like Morristown is probably a little bit more expensive. So you kind of look for, you know, something else. So I lived in, in, uh, in Whippany in a three bedroom spot and shared it with the other two interns. That's and awesome. rent was probably 450 a month, yeah, you know, yeah, for perfect. each of us, right? So 
and then the surrounding areas was totally different. You know, the other guy, one guy was from Jersey, the other guy was from the outskirts of Philly and Pennsylvania, so they both grew up kind of in that <laughs> element. Jersey's an upgrade to Philly. And me, I'm like, every <laughs> sure. Friday I'm getting out of work, I'm going to Brooklyn, <laughs> hanging going out, back going back home, hanging out, coming back, you know, early Saturday morning for uh, for work. And did that for about 11 months, okay? So after 11 months, then during that time, applying for some more grad assistantships because you still got to have a grad assistantship. You have to, in my field, you probably, you need a master's degree, okay? You do need a master's degree to make it to a certain level, collegiate and pro. Now, there are special circumstances where some people be grandfathered in, but now all programs in my profession are going to be master's levels programs. So you can't, you can't. Is that from an experience standpoint or an education standpoint? Educational standpoint. I feel like in your field, you have to not only have the book smarts and the brain smarts, but you actually have to have like the real life twists and turns. You do. You do. So you get that experience starting your sophomore year. You get your rotations on. So basically it's you build upon each semester what you learned from the last and the skills that you're allowed to do. Your preceptors are those that are already certified athletic trainers at the sites and they kind of guide you through your whole process there. Now, again, is this something that it's like you're shadowing somebody early on or is it like, hey, you're shadowing and then you have to actually stretch somebody? Yeah. Once you're in the program, you apply to get into the program after your freshman year. Once you're in it and you have your clinical rotations, you're watching and doing. Wow. Interesting. You're right. You're thrown right into the game. Yeah, but they're not going to allow you to do more than you're actually educated, and so stretching or applying, you know, ice bags or hot packs or the real basic stuff you start out with, your setups, your breakdowns, how to look for stuff, inventory. So you're going through this whole algorithm of things that are not necessarily part of what you thought of taking care of your athletes, but there's so much other stuff that goes on with it that people don't realize. Now we're going to get off topic for a second, but. Everybody's body's different, right? I know my body's different than yours and so on and so forth. And what might work for me doesn't work for you. And some may and some might not. They have some overlap, right? Mm-hmm. At what point in your career did you say, okay, this is what the book says or this is what my mentor says, right? Mm-hmm. Versus this is what I feel like this person's body needs the most. When did you bring your own twist into it? All right. So, so, so we'll step back so we'll go, all right, so... Evidence-based practice is what you learn in the book, what's scientifically studied. Okay, anecdotal-based is more of what you've seen and what works, right? So you gotta you gotta fuse the two, but always have the evidence to back it up. Right? So you may know that this particular body type, SMOS, mesomorph, or however you, you you define it by looking at it, or or structural, or, or spinal alignment, or however you decide you want to look at the body. Each one of us as practitioners looks at the body in a different eye. So whatever eye you look at it in is the eye that you're going to anticipate or, or make a program prescription or, or treatment for. Each individual is different. Even though they may look exactly the same, there's something internal or external or muscle structure or something not firing. So everybody's different. Even though that they may look exactly the same, you may see, hey, he's 6'3", 250 pound, uh, 4% body fat, and 6'4", 255 pounds, 5% body fat, so around the same uh, parameters, and they both have two totally different needs. Completely you know, different. They move completely different. You know, one, one guy could, you know, not diving too much into the NFL, but one guy can look at the other guy, one guy gets cut from the team, one guy has a 10-year career. And it's, it's, more, it's more than that. You can have a better body, but 
we're talking more of the mental and, and the playing styles and, and that more acceptable to so at what age did you develop your own confidence in walking in and diagnosing something and then treating it or giving an alternate method approach to helping somebody because obviously again you were told to do stuff up to a certain point in your career and then eventually you had to take you know the bull by the horns if you will and make your own decisions at what point at what age did you have that confidence so that started probably when I was 23, 23, 24. And that's when I was at the University of Michigan and I was a grad assistant there working with the football team. And as you progress through, you're then allowed to do more of the evaluations and techniques on your own, as well as uh, me and one of the assistants. I wouldn't say we developed it, but we started to look at the body in a different way in alignments and curvature of the spine and, and heights of the hips and different anatomical landmarks, which then enabled us to do individual prescriptions for that particular guy. Now, it's harder to do at the collegiate level, but that's where it all started for me. Then I left there, then I went to you know Manhattan College, and there I had my own teams. I had uh, one team I was solely responsible for and two that I oversaw a grad assistant with. And so... Now diving into the basketball world to where I started there, now you, now it's a different movement pattern almost. But the basics are the same. But you're looking at these guys move and run up and down the court a little differently. Your so now it's not a taller body, it's your leaner body. Yeah. Some of the injuries are a little bit different and, and catered to basketballs, your tendonitis, knees. knees. Uh, you might get you know a little shoulder every now and then from a couple ankles. guys. Ankles, a plethora of ankles or feet. Sure. And that's, that's what you deal with. And you go on custom orthotics and search treatments and things of that nature. But... Well, I really dove into the analysis aspect of that. As, as I left Manhattan College, I, I just finished up getting my corrective exercise specialist certification. And I took that and went to Georgia. And they actually have, at the time, had Fusionetics. And Fusionetics was a program based off of some of the, of the, of the CES. And uh, what it allowed was a more in-depth evaluation of a movement pattern. A lot. Some of them were, I mean, it was dynamic movements, but it was basic Movements. So just for your listeners, so you went from the Jets internship to Georgia, correct? That was the progression? Jets internship to University of Michigan. Michigan first. To Manhattan College, Manhattan. and then wound up at Georgia. Oh, wow. Okay. Right. So it's a lot. Now you're playing in the big league, so SEC. Not, yeah, the SEC, right? So you go from mid-major, and now you're in the SEC, and now it's like... Was Stafford different. there when you were there, or no? No, no. This is, this is post-Stafford. This is post-Stafford. Uh, was, wasn't the, ain't that old. Ain't that old. <laughs> <laughs> Good point. That means I'm old. No, we're all right. You know, diving into that program with those guys really enabled me to have more of that one-on-one focus because now I only had one team and I could really individually assess each guy. And even small things like a coach would say at practice, hey, I don't like the way that this guy's hand is extending all the way up. He doesn't get all the way up. Can you figure out something to help yeah, the guy? Sure. Right? And so, you know, I dove into him a little bit and worked shoulder mechanics, lat stretchings, a couple soft tissue techniques, a couple strengthening here, loosen up some tissue there. Because a lot of the foundation is, okay, something's tight that needs to be loosened sure. and something's loosened that needs to be strengthened sure. or weak that needs to be strengthened. So that's the basis of a couple of things that I look at through uh, motion and testing. And I was able to help that individual and other individuals actually uh, get better and maintain themselves and be able to stay on the court. And some of those individuals actually still call me today and say, hey, I got this problem. How can you help me? You helped me before. And that, to me, is probably the most gratifying aspect of that. To know, Yeah, that that you've affected some change. Some guys are playing overseas and time difference, and it'll be like midnight, and I'm I'm getting a text. I'm like, 
hey man, what's up? Oh man, you remember that that Achilles that I had surgery on? It still bothered me. But remember that sequence of things that we did that kind of helped me out for that couple months? And I was like, yeah, yeah. So he was one of those guys that actually had the surgery before I got there. Oh, wow. So I came in and I had uh, two foot injuries, a Liz Frank on a starting guard and then an Achilles tear in the other starting guard. Right? Right so, so two out of the three guys, <laughs> two out of the three guys had that. And SEC head coach is looking at you like, these, these guys going to be ready to go for the season? Yeah. And I'm sitting there like, man, I don't <laughs> Maybe know. Maybe next season. <laughs> I, I don't know. So, you know, they, they wound up both playing that year and everything's great. And, you know, I move on from there from the Jets and, um, you know, kind of left it at that. But, you know, you, you, you have your experiences and you, and you get these people, you know, and, and I'm a people guy. So I like, I like to deal with great people, right? So you get, you get experiences, you get great people. And now, you know, you kind of develop things with those guys and they, they trust you, you know, and that's probably the biggest point of it. So they have, they have to be able to trust you. Is it, tr- is it because they trust you because they need you trust you because you've delivered for them or is it because you have a title, right? So I feel like people, you could trust somebody automatically until they like give you a chance, right? And if you mess up that chance or that chance doesn't work out for whatever reason, usually like, ah, that's no good anymore. What do you feel like that trust comes from? Because you truly genuinely help them internally? I think when you, uh, there's a three ways to actually approach it and, and your title's like, yeah, okay, I have to deal with this person. Okay. And then this person has some sort of level of expertise and now they, they're in charge of my team. So they have to help me. Okay. And now they go to you and you have an issue. So you being able to, I don't want to say cure, but help them get better at something, whether it's, it's injury related, if it's a motion thing, it's, if it's just general maintenance or say the only thing that you needed for your knee was, Hey, if I mobilized your fibula a little bit and now that freed you up on the lateral side and now when you step and plant, you don't feel that same discomfort you're feeling for the last 12 or 18 months. Sure. Now like, this guy might actually know what he's talking right. about. Right, so do small things or flexibility. Or you know, hey, this guy's tight, but hey, if I can do a stretch with him for 10 minutes and he goes out there, feels better and performs better, and now he comes back again. Now that's my guy. He's like, crack, you want more of it. Yeah, you want you it. Want more you want it. You keep wanting it. So, you know, you develop those relationships with the individual guy, and that starts out with those assessments that we were talking about earlier where you're going to have to see what each guy needs and develop them. So, like, in the basketball world, like in the NBA, you might have between strength coaches and athletic trainers, five or six guys for a roster of what, 15? So three to one ratio. So you really get great continuity of care when you have ratios like that. And like, you know, you deal with football, you're dealing with masses. So, so, you know, like FMS is a good screen that, uh, that is used. And there's other, other screens that are out there that, that we use as well where you could identify common issues. I get all that right now. People, so I look back to football when I, you know, was in the nineties and the pop Warner and coaches were like, ice it, put dirt on it. Right. Get back in the game. Right. You hurt something. doesn't matter what it is. You got hit in the head, shake it off, get back in the game. Right. Again, you got to cut, put dirt on it. Maybe a cortisone shot when you get older into high school, right. Or college, right. Back in the day. How has the game evolved from, okay, forget about putting dirt on it, forget about putting ice on it, right? Forget about like shaking the cobwebs off after you know you got a concussion to acupuncture, to cupping, to cryotherapy, to massage therapy. How has that changed and evolved so much? And do you attribute that to how much more an athlete performs, jumps higher, runs faster and stronger today? 
a lot of those techniques have to do with actually the recovery aspect of things, right? Yeah. So, so you're talking about your cupping, which can be as recovery, so is acupuncture, so is massage, and a few other things, right? So back in the day, you know, decades ago, not too many decades ago, really, I, I know, 2008 even, that was still unheard of back then. A decade, maybe. Some, some things, right? <laughs> so you look, you look at cupping, which has been around for hundreds of years, right? But just making its way to Western. So is acupuncture. So those, those things have been in existence. We just haven't really accepted it much in the Western culture until, I would say, last decade, decade and a half, where it's starting to become a little bit more mainstream. And it, it's they're, they're awesome techniques. And, you know, I work with two or three of them actually and and they're and they're phenomenal people and you know and then you talk about the injury evaluation standpoint of say get hurt in the game or you couldn't finish the game rub some dirt on it okay so the rub some dirt on it to me comes from it's actually rubbing sensation that actually can help to decrease the pain felt over the local site right so that's where that actually stems from so rubbing dirt on it doesn't actually mean just put dirt on it goes away it actually is an actual technique it could be. It could be. So that's where I think it kind of stems from because it just doesn't come from, hey, it rubs some dirt and it goes away. At some point, some family, some person probably rubs some dirt on it and said, man, it kind of, it's kind of well, I heard in actually different better. countries, not to get off topic or get spiritual, but I heard in like Peru, for example, or South America, there's actually dirt that people rub on wounds and it heals it. Possibly. It could be dirt, clay, you know, different yeah. things from the earth and the elements that they actually put on top, plants, things like that, that actually could uh, have healing ability. Have so, track, whatever. Yeah, yeah, I mean, whatever it is out there, CBD oil, you know, <laughs> what you got. Apparently that thing uh, cures everything nowadays. So, you know, that's, that's, a, that's a hot topic. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, our evaluation process has now become more expanded so you know you're watching the nfl you see guys get hurt you see this blue tent on the sideline now good concussion evaluation right you go in there now that evaluation can be you know five minutes what's actually in the tent table and doctors that's it (laughs) yeah no technology nothing really no 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 no. not really intent i mean rather than traditional doctor's gear like say they want to do a quick check on something or screens or pen lights or stethoscopes or you know want to get a read on a guy you know they can do that from the tent but Again, it's loud and there's 80,000 plus people where you go and people making noise and coaches and players shouting. So you can get a decent assessment, but if they, if they need something else, they go right to the locker room. And once they do that, then that's a, at least a 12 to 15 minute. Who makes that judgment call? You, Physicians. So head doctors. In, in any sport. So example, let's use Kevin Durant as an example. Let's use Clay Thompson as an example, right? Gets hurt in the game. He tries to sit on the bench and they're like, no, no, you have to go right back to the locker room, mm-hmm. right? Do, are you guys under a certain time constraint? Like, hey, you have to get him back out here in four minutes, or hey, he has to be back out there for 20 minutes. How does that work, and who makes that judgment call? So the Clay Thompson incident is actually a real particular one because he got fouled, and then they were free throw shots. Had to come involved, back out and shoot. Right? If he did not come back out and shoot, then he would be disqualified for the remainder of the game. Could not return to the game. So that's a little bit particular um, right there. Uh, some sports do have time restrictions on the amount of time and evaluation. Wrestling does does that. Okay, you get cut in wrestling match because yeah. it's so short time-wise, you only have a certain amount of time. If, if you're unable to stop it in time or Keith Wheaton is too repetitive, you're automatically disqualified from the match. Football, no. You can go out for two quarters and come back, right? Yeah, once you're out, 
you're just you're just out. You take as much time as you need to get a guy back, return, right? Whatever. But you don't. But you you want to move efficiently and safely as possible mm-hmm. through your stages of returning a person to play in the game. So you never want to rush any situation. You always want to take your time and dot your eyes and cross your t's because at the end of the day, that individual's health is on the line. Sometimes you have to even protect them from themselves. They go out there and say, I want to get back in this game, yeah. but you haven't passed the necessary steps. Right. So that's what I was going to ask you. Like, So a player gets hurt. He's obviously pride, ego, everything's on the line. He's just got hurt on national television, let's say. And then all of a sudden, his adrenaline's rushing. He's like, oh, I'm good, I'm good, I'm good. At what point do you say, no, you're not good versus, okay, you seem to be good. Get back out there. It all starts with the evaluation process. Someone has to do initial eval. It could be me or it could be one of the other athletic trainers or doctors. Someone has to see something initially. Now, during the game, we're fortunate enough that um, there's 30-something medical professionals in the stadium at any given time. 30. Plus, that's just dedicated to the actual field, including paramedics, doctors, physicians, airway management physicians, VTMLs, neuros. We got ATC spotters up in the booth. We have one, two, three, five, six doctors in our, just on our sideline. Uh, we have that's a fellow. every game. Every home, every game, but it all depends on who's home and who's away, and that shifts the numbers of what side. But that's just about it. Yeah, wow. yeah, a lot Big of number. a lot of people. So, so you get to so instead of as an athlete trainer working in the direction of a, of a supervising physician. So, if my physician is only 10, minute, 10 yards away from me, I'm gonna just let him take the deal. To actually speeds up the process because I'm not there evaluating, sure. and then he has sure. to come over and do his own evaluation. So, usually in game, unless it's Something like a cut or something like we could easily get back out there real quick. It was something that's going to take some evaluation. Let's get the doc involved early. So let's talk Kevin Durant now, right? Obviously, we're here in New York City. And Kevin Durant, as far as I was concerned, inked as a Nick, right? Mm -hmm. I thought he was going to be a Nick. Everyone, I think, in the country pretty much thought he was going to be a Nick, right? Dolan not offering him max contract with the possibility of him not ever recovering fully. What's your take on that? And also, if you're Kevin Durant or you're Kevin Durant's trainer, do you let him go back in to the finals and play knowing his injury? <laughs> so I won't comment on the latter half because some of those guys are actually my colleagues in the field, oh, right? So, you know, those guys, you know, I'm pretty sure – uh, when they went through their evaluation process and, you know, not saying right, wrong, or indifferent, but before the game, he was dunking, he was jumping high. And you know Durant's heart and competitiveness. He's going to be out there. If you and, can. you know, team situation, he's down. And, and usually, sometimes, if you have that relationship with the player, you say, hey, are you good? Right, you know. Are you trying to push it too much? Or should we sit this one out? And, you know, it seemed to be okay from our standpoint now. I can't comment on anything that they've done because I don't have all the records and I can't say, hey, this is what our it's staff It's easy looking back done. at it after it's, the injury. Yeah, it's if very, they were to one game seven, you're good. It's very easy. It's just like being in the NFL. Everything's right. on the jumbo trying to Monday morning quarterback. Monday morning quarterback. And they judge and say, hey, well, you should have taken this yeah. guy out or this guy wasn't right. Yeah. But, you know, sometimes it, it is that when you're in the heat of the situation and going through, everything looks good. And then by chance, on that particular step that he did – it didn't work. Yeah. But that doesn't mean that he hadn't done that yeah. before and he hadn't tested it out before. Sure. But he did have a, a, a previous injury history to that same spot, which then increases your chance of actually further injury. So as far as the Knicks and Dolan go, I mean, what's your theory and opinion on that? 
you know, as far as those Full guys. Full disclosure, you are a Knicks fan, right? I'm not a Knicks fan. Ooh, okay. <laughs> so it's good. We're getting an unbiased opinion here. Yeah, I'm not a, I'm not a Knicks fan. I am actually... Um, a Nets fan. I, well, <laughs> I don't really have an NBA team, but if I did, I'd probably, I'd probably root for them. I was Sacramento Kings back in the day with Chris Webber. Okay, yeah, you know, with the big Mad- diamond stud earrings. And- oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Mavericks, Michael Finley days. So those are teams that I used to root for. Dwayne Wade with the, with the Heat, he came out as my favorite college player at the time. So, okay. yeah, so, that, so that's, that's one of my guys there. But in terms of what they did, strictly as a basketball fan and not, you know, as an athletic trainer, you always want to see your best players out there. And obviously, as an athletic trainer or a medical professional, there's always risk, health risk, right? There's health risk with anybody. There's been guys that, you know, that I deal with the NFL that have previous Achilles injuries and return to full. We have a couple guys actually, you know, on the team now that's doing very well. Is there a chance that you come back stronger? Stronger is pretty... Uh, all right, when you define strength, in actual strength, you could yeah. probably get that back. Uh, motion, jumping ability may or may not be but what you were, but you can return to a higher level of okay. sport, yeah. So it's not like you get a flat tire, eventually you know you're going to have to replace it. You could actually recover. Yeah, yeah, you could recover. You patch it up. You know, you get you get a, you get a great surgery done by one of the great surgeons in the country. And, you know, they go in there with their techniques and they put it down, they tack it down, they strengthen it back up. And then it's up to the physical therapist or athletic trainer, whoever the medical professional is working with that individual to get them ready to go. But, I mean, as an athletic trainer, we've seen our, our share of guys return to full. So someone like Kevin Durant, right? I look at him as probably the best, if not one of the best players in the NBA, right? All around. Mm-hmm. You want you want Kevin Durant on your team, oh, yeah. right? So for Dolan and the Knicks not to offer him max contract, max money because of an injury, which worst case, he comes back at 75, 80%. What's your opinion on that? And do you think that they've made a good business decision not taking that risk? Looking at some statistics of the last 10 guys to get Achilles rupture, I mean, most, I'm not sorry, last 10 guys to return yeah. to, to, to full status. Is Kobe included in that or no? He was included in that list. I think it was most of them averaged between 225 and 320 days to return to full wow. activity. Wow, call it a year. Yeah, so r- roughly 10 months. Yeah, yeah, roughly 10 months to a year. And he may, and... Then you come back, you may not be the same, but as the rehab goes, and you know, you got a lot of great professionals, you know, in this country, not in this country actually, and and people have come here and meshing of the minds, and you know, you can return a guy to pretty much what he was before with any surgery, almost, with the exception of certain ones that the, the tissue may be degraded and and doesn't have the ability to regenerate. Or anything that's in a particular spot where it's a weight-bearing surface and there's just no way of of that coming back because it's a degenerative disease or something like that. So foundation, right? We talked earlier about foundation to anything in order to build up and scale anything, whether it's your personal life, business life, whatever. You need to set the proper foundation, right? And I can tell you that I'm sitting here guilty of very rarely setting the proper foundation in most avenues of my life. I always worked hard, right? I always trained hard. But back in the day, it was like, oh, how much do you squat, right? How much do you bench? No one was like, hey, do toe yoga, when you text me that, I was like, toe yoga? My like, people look at me and laugh when I say I do regular yoga. If I go and tell these people I do toe yoga, yeah, my phone's going to stop ringing. People are going to stop texting me, and I'm probably going to get some like stupid DMs like, yo, you do toe yoga? Like, what the hell's wrong with you, right? Yeah. So 
for those of you that don't know, I broke my ankle last August, two weeks before my son was born, right? And as you know, as my friend, devastating, right? You know, you realize mentally, spiritually, physically, emotionally what you need your ankle for. Um, and then when you don't have the luxury of having two of them, you know, it obviously slows you down, if you will, but it's a blessing in disguise. So how important are your feet, which correlate to your foundation, and then also your ankles to support your ability? Very important. Very important. So I think a lot of focus in the last three, seven, last three, 10 years has been on the foot and ankle complex and how that, how that relates to things. So even as, as much as the big toe, okay, if that doesn't have the amount of range of motion necessary for you to do activity, something else has to compensate. So in those guys, we see a lot of foot and ankle injuries, okay? And then because the, the big toe is because the big toe isn't moving enough, right? So when you take a step, Sure. Big toe has flex, right? But what happens is when it's stiff, something else has to give way to allow the movements to occur at each joint above so that. So your ankle, for example, right? might be overcompensated. So, so your ankle can be overcompensated or in a wrong position, wow. okay? And then you know have to be repositioned and things like that. And chiropractors and, and uh, manual mobilization therapists are actually great at that. If you don't have that proper foundation, okay, with your foot and say your, your arch collapses or you don't have the muscles built up, what happens now is that knee starts to go into valgus. So now you're more susceptible to ACL injuries or MCL injuries or wow. any sort of torque, meniscus injuries, stuff like that. Work your way further up the hip now that that knee is out of line. So your hip now is at an internal rotated angle. But it all here. starts with the toe. It could all start with the toe. It could all start with the toe. Wow. Now, at each point in the chain, you might find a kink. The toe could be perfect. The ankle's not. So the ankle doesn't move as well. And then that jams up the knee and, and the quad and the, the hip and everything else. Knee, fibula, outside, peroneal. I mean, you could go hip and, and trace that all the way up to the low back. I know in, in like Chinese culture, right, they're big into like reflexology, right, where they rub the feet and like your part or your feet matches up with some type of part of your internal body, right? What's your theory on that? And how were they so far ahead of the game? And how are we now developing this here, especially in our sports world? Right. So I've got very limited knowledge on Eastern medicine. However, uh, for what I do know, all right, so when, when we're born, or when we're, well, actually when we're conceived and we're in the, in the uterus, we're one small little pea, right? So everything at that point is still connected. As we grow... It expands, okay? So the nerve branches get longer, the, the the muscle fibers get longer, but remember, we're still trying to connect it to that central point, right? Sure. So, and their belief is that multiple points on the body can affect others, and that, and that is true. And, that, and we know it's true because trigger points in certain parts of the body affect others. So like you have some calf tightness, you work down to your Achilles, there might be a muscle spasm that's in it that's causing you to have that tightness. But you just think your calf's sore. But you might just think that your Achilles is sore and not even pay attention to the calf right. at that point. So right. now you work your way up the chain. You're like, oh, well, that medial gastroc head's really tight. Let me do some work on that. Or that lateral gastroc and peroneal group are actually tight, causing your foot to rotate out. Sure. And that's actually causing some irritation on the medial side of the knee. There's just a lot of stuff. So, so in that reflexology, you know, the theory, one of the theories is that if I hit this point here and your body was connected that I can release that from this other point. Just by pressing on your foot. Yeah. So there could be multiple release points. Again, I'm not, it's meridian lines and things of that nature. And acupuncturists know it well, is that when you hit certain meridians, it frees up and opens up the channels and then releases spasm, increases lymphatic drainage of the bad stuff to get out of the body, thus making you feel better. So for your average person, let's say they're not active, they work out 
you know, everyone says, oh, yeah, I work out. It's like, yeah, one day a month, you know. For your average person that doesn't really work out much, that sits behind a desk all day, usually over computer or whatever, sitting on an airplane, what's a basic routine you can give them, whether it's, hey, do toe yoga like when you have free time, you know, do push-ups when you have free time, diet, what's some very basic things people can incorporate without having to, you know, stress themselves out about getting to the gym or, you know, going and eating like organic food every day? All right, so these physical fundamental foundations of diet, exercise, and a part of exercise is flexibility, but I actually put that one a little separate, right? Because you can actually stretch for exercise, or you can stretch in addition to two exercise, right? So your two basic foundations, diet and exercise. So basically, calories in, calories out. As simple as that. It can be as simple as that for most people, right? So, you know, I'm not wearing my today, but I have a wearable watch that, you know, you can keep track of calories burned. And so, you know, they recommend the average person 2,000, but that's a general number to take account to height, body weight, metabolic rate, and things of that nature. You may process food way faster than I do, so you may require more than I do, but that doesn't mean that you're going to gain weight. Right, you're you're not going to gain weight. Because of that, your body's fuel just needs it needs more fuel to process in a day. I'm gonna go to an extreme with diet and say, okay, so I've done some genetic. I've used my 23andMe and uploaded it into the profile, right? Did and you recommend it? I would recommend it for people to take a look at things. The ancestry side is is kind of what I did, and then you can take that data and there's certain. A certain medical professionals and others that have developed these programs that you actually upload that 23andMe genetic data in. Wow. And it can tell you about different, how you process different things. So, for example, I'm a fast metabolizer of caffeine. Coffee's never actually worked for me. So, that's why I don't really, I don't really use it, right? So, it's just, <laughs> so, I just have a sip and that's just for taste, right? So, let, let, let's take, let's take coffee and dive into another theory thing, right? So, in American culture, I'm actually in the minority in terms of everyone's coffee. running on coffee. Yeah, everyone Everybody runs on coffee. coffee. Some sort so of caffeine. For me. I think some pre-workout just to wake up in the morning. <laughs> some sort of caffeinated caffeinated supplementation, right? And so, you know, in my sleep now, recently I've been doing a lot of reading and, and listening to podcasts. Because you're sleep. a big education guy, right? Yep, yeah, exactly. You have to do it. It's part of my profession. They're actually required and. You just want to learn more about self and right. be able to, to, to help yourself out at the end of the day. You can help other people, but if you're not right, then you can't help anybody else to the best of your ability. The caffeine can have a half-life of, uh, let's just throw it out there, six hours, right? So say, for example, it's six hours. Let's talk about what half-life is, right? So 50% of it's still in your body in six hours. 50% of that, which is 25%, is that next six hours. And so... You keep going there and going there down by 50% until you actually get to zero or untraceable or whatever they want to call it in that respect, right? If you have a cup of coffee in your afternoon or 2 o'clock, you still have 50% by 8 o'clock. Wow. It lasts a long time right? in your body. It's a long time yeah. in your body. Sure. A person like me, I process it faster. So it's not going to take that long. It's probably out of my body for you to sleep. But if you're trying to get to bed by 10 o'clock, and you still have 40% of that caffeine in your body. You're screwed, right? Yeah. So Look at the ceiling all night. <laughs> that's why I hear some people say, I can't have coffee after a certain time. Wow. But they don't know 
why they can't have it after a time, but that's the reason. Like, say, oh, if I have a coffee now at 4 o'clock, I can't sleep. And other people have coffee at 10 p.m. and be asleep by midnight. You could have an espresso. Like, someone yeah. like me could have an espresso at 10 and be asleep by 11. And that's because your body processes caffeine differently. So it like basically pushes it right through the system opposed to being saturated and slowly go through the wheels. Exactly. Wow, super right? So I just use that as an example. every supplement or just coffee? It can be every, every supplement and mineral, right? So, so they've broken it down into different genotypes of, mm-hmm. hey, if you have this this chromosome or this gene, you process this differently. You process that differently. So really you could cheat and when I say cheat, you could be ahead of the game and more efficient and know what your body needs in order to operate on the most efficient level. Exactly. Exactly. Right. So so I dove into the extreme and now I'll pull us back into all right, you got your macronutrients, uh, your protein, your carbs, and your fats, right? So, you know, they make these plates up and you can actually go percentage-wise. And depending on what your goals are is what your percentage should be. Obviously, if, you, if you've expended a lot of carbohydrates via exercise or like professional athletes or you're working out, you might want to increase low carb. But then, hey, if I'm also trying to lose weight at the same time, drop some fat, I may want to try to use fat as my fuel source, okay? That takes me into another realm okay of training out in a facet training in a facet state okay so you're in a facet state you don't have the carbs in you eventually you'll start to use your fats faster than you would if you if you had a full meal like an emergency tap into right right but now it becomes a primary close to a primary source after you depleted your carbs then you're moving on to your fats and xyz now you that takes us into a diet that is Gaining tons of popularity, the ketogenic diet. What do you think of that? Okay, so my personal opinion, okay, I'm not tremendously sold on it. I believe it can work for some people. I don't think it works for everyone. People shouldn't look to things as as a uh, get cure fast kind of thing. Yeah, but they all do get rich quick scheme. Sort of in turn in the mentality. Is it took me thirty two and a half years to get a six pack, which I currently have. <laughs> kind of today, it's kind of like a four and a half pack, depending on what I eat. But think about that: thirty two years to get that. People want instant results. Not gonna so happen. Right. Not gonna happen. Right. So, so that's where diet and exercise come into play. So you find the right diet. So according to my gene type, I'm better based with a modified Mediterranean diet. People, marketing companies find like the perfect person for that diet and then they market it. And everyone thinks they could be this person when they don't even have the right genetics to be this person. That person might not even be on that diet. Wow. Interesting. <laughs> that that person. That. So I've, I've, heard, of, you, I've right? heard of some stories where you look at um, certain companies, so I won't name them, yeah. right? Oh, but they, 90% of them. <laughs> that have these commercials on TV and you see, man, look at how they look at after, hours, after three, no, after three, after 30 days, yeah. 60 days, 90 days. Oh man, they dropped so much weight. Okay. Well, work in reverse. What if you had someone that was already in shape, took that picture, made them get out of shape and use that for your commercial. Yeah, you're right. And that's done. Yeah, you're right. And that's, I'm not saying that's the standard. But that is, that's out there. So what would you recommend people doing from like a you know, disclaimer, read the fine print, right? You got to read the fine print and you have to, you have to, I'd speak to a, uh, there's a lot of dietitians out there now, registered dietitians, every, every hospital actually has one and there's independent ones. And yes, a lot of it is not covered by insurance. So you have yeah. to actually pay cash. But if you're serious about it and you've done your research, I would say, Try to bounce some ideas off of someone that may know a few more things sure. in depthly than yourself. And point you in the right direction. Right. And point you in the right direction, and you can kind of take it from there. 
you know, I'm fortunate enough that I have, we have a sports dietitian right. in house. So if I got some ideas personally, I can bounce it off her and she can kind of give me some advice. You got the resources. You got some resources, right? As well as, you know, if, hey, this supplement, and she's heard about a lot of them because guys will come there and say, can I take this? Can I take this? So you have a person that's researched all these things before and now you can just kind of tap into that knowledge base for a little bit. What do you think about, so let's talk to people that are sitting behind their desk or sitting on their commute, right, to work train, bus, whatever. Standing versus sitting, how often should somebody stand up if they're at a desk all day? Are there any quick two, three second, five second stretches that could like loosen things up? Obviously, we're not looking to cure whatever's wrong with them, but that can help them, you know, progress more healthy. So, you know, funny that you say that. So, I've been wearing this wearable watch for about a month, right? And if I sit inactive for an hour, I get buzzed. Serious? Yes. So, an hour is the time frame? Yeah, and for for this particular company and their their algorithm and what they say, hey, so they'll so it pops up and goes time for tor- time for <laughs> time for torso twist. You've been inactive for Seriously? an hour, so they so <laughs> you can press it and it shows you someone going like <laughs> left the movement, right, the movement like right? Yeah, and so once you get up and I don't know the exact uh, algorithm, but I'm gonna guesstimate if you walk for about. 15 or 20 seconds and now has a shoe that pops up like a tracker and it says you're back on track wow right so it'll tell you when you're inactive so you know if i'm sitting at a desk and sitting at a desk you know people have work to do and they're trying to be as efficient as they can and get the most work done for the time that they're there but take a break for a few minutes and just walk around for five minutes and just get the blood flowing just get the blood flowing you know you sit, you sit down in your chair do some calf raises or something like that. <laughs> yeah. Seated calf raises, you know, try to get you going. One of the tricks that I actually use is I, I'll take a foam roll ball and stick it under my hamstrings on the chair. So if I'm tired. One leg so, at each time. So one leg at a time. So I'm down there. So I'm sitting at where I'm getting some work done sure. and I'm ext- flexing and extending the leg. One, to get that motion. Two, I can hit some trigger points or he just kind of break that up. Wow. So that's something that I use. Other people that I've seen use a stability ball to sit on. So that actually keeps your core active sure. and engaged the whole time. The BOSU ball, right? Yeah, like it's that. like, yeah, it's BOSU ball. And they run by some other names, Swiss ball. And the BOSU ball is more for exercise, balance, kind of proprioceptive things. The stability ball is more what you're going to sit on, the big physio ball. So in 2011, before all this stuff came out, this lady I worked with who's awesome, a great lady, was like, I walked into her desk to get a check one day. She was like the CFO accountant for the company. And I'm like, what the hell are you sitting on a ball for? She had to be like, um, she's probably like 60, but I'm going to say she was like 45 at the time. I don't know how old she was. She could have been 90, right? I'm just kidding. I'm like, what the hell are you sitting on a ball for? She oh, I have whatever, something wrong with my spine, my back. I'm like, oh my God, that's great. So I actually bought like one of the first ones that came out in like 2011 and it sat in like a plastic container. The ball went on top, but... It's funny, like you come to my office, I was in a full suit and tie, sitting on a BOSU ball. People were like, how the hell is it? Most people, you walk in, they have like, you know, a king's chair, high luxury furnished. I'm like, no, I'm sitting on a BOSU ball. And they're like, why? I'm like, well, because I'm eating like Big Macs every like, you know, two, three hours. So I'm so busy running out. You know, I need to like kind of offset that. And it made a big difference. It truly did. It makes you sit up straight. Yeah, it does. Like like me, I don't have the greatest posture. But right. if I had that, it actually will force you into getting uh, more aligned posture in the back and strengthen up some core muscles. And what's big about the core, a lot of people think, is I need to hit, you know, short reps. But it's more of an endurance the longer, longer, more reps, the longer. longer. Yeah, really, more reps the longer. Interesting. Yeah. How, how do you obviously, you know, 
we're in an area where it's very expensive to live. You know, obviously inflation and everything, your dollar really doesn't get you as much anymore. How do you combat the affordability factor, affordability factor, right, of being healthy and living a healthy lifestyle? I mean, I go, I'll give you an example. I signed up for yoga for a 30-day unlimited package. It was $45. I went once in 11 days. No, I have to go back. But you, know, you go buy an organic juice, $7, $8, $9, right? You want to get a healthy meal, $13 to $15, right? How do you combat that? I mean, whey protein, 15 to 20 servings, whatever it is, $100 if there's like CBD infused, right? How do you live a healthy lifestyle and afford it? You almost can't. All right. So the, the, the healthy lifestyle is not the cheapest lifestyle. And the funny thing about that is the wife talked to me about that the other day. She goes, man, compared to a lot of people I know, we spend a lot more on food. And I'm like, well, if, if you think about it as the one thing, one of the few things that you're actually going to do every day is eat. You're going to eat. At least three times a day. Or more, depending on what your dietary needs are, right? So you're going to eat, you're going to drink, and you're going to sleep. And go to the bathroom. Well, yeah. I mean, that, that's the, that's, that's <laughs> the other. I mean, you could probably have a competition with yourself yeah. to not do it. Yeah. <laughs> 24 hours, 25 hours, you're done. <laughs> but after that, you're going to be done. So you look at the basic functions of the body and, and, you, and you think, okay, well, one of the base three. So if you can afford to do it, it's a great idea. But a lot of the tips that I, that I use is buy the ingredients yourself and make it at home. If you look at it at a cost per serving standpoint, if I, if I go out there and I buy this meal for 20 bucks, but I come home and I can do it for eight, but that, that saves you $12 of serving per person in the house. But also, but what you're also doing is you're also taking time to do it. And so it's cost versus time. It, it's what it really boils yeah, down to. You're right? so, for expedited. Or if you can't afford it, if you have the time, you may not be able to afford it and as much great stuff, but you can get some good stuff from going to reputable supermarkets, you know. And there's, you know, all the studies that say, you know, if you live in a certain socioeconomic demographic, that the food isn't as good as if you live in a more wealthy area. And you know, that's 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 got some truth in in, in some realm and some facts. Is I've done both, and you can see a difference. But the, the point is, is that to, to live within your means and don't go outside of that and, and say, hey, I'm going to spend thousands of dollars on food. Like I know people for a family of four that actually spend thousands of dollars on food. Easily. Yeah, easily. 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 I know some people that only spend a few hundred. Yeah, 500 for the month. 500 for the month. Four people. Right? Four people. And so you take those two families and you say, well, one lives at, at one status, one lives at the other status. One can afford to spend two grand sure. a month just on food. Two grand and other uh, for some people is double the rent. Sure. <laughs> you know, sure. so you got you got to work what you have. But eating, making healthier choices, right? So not eating a ton of bad carbs and sweets and sugars and cakes and desserts at night all the time. No, you can you can you can spoil yourself. You know, I'm am an eighty twenty guy. Eighty percent of the time, yeah, I'm on it. Twenty percent of the time, I need my ice cream <laughs> and Big Mac. <laughs> I need my ice cream <laughs> yeah. and the occasional Big Mac, which I actually had one time this year for the first time in like five years. Yeah, it was like the taste. It's, a, <laughs> it's that Mac sauce. Not that I'm doing a, a promo for myself, but yeah. it's the, it's the sauce. And I was like, oh, it's actually not bad. Sometimes when you're in a pinch, even if you could afford healthy meals, like hey, you're still you're still gonna, oh man, I can't get this. I, I need to stop at this Wendy's. 
I need to get a little sun, but it's when you do that, what do you get? Are you getting, uh, are you getting half a pound of beef, two pound, a pound of bacon, bad carbs and all this other stuff built in, or are you getting a little grilled chicken wrap or something? So you, you can even go, like if you talk to some nutritionists, they'll actually tell you, Hey, you can actually do these items if you go here. But the affordability standpoint is you just got to try to make better decisions, try to get more healthy food, non-processed stuff. Could you eat much better and work out less? Is that like the rather than eating like crap and working out more? Would you say you're better off eating the right foods and working out less? I would say so. Yeah, right. I'd, I'd say so because if, you, if you're eating right, so your body's processing things correctly and you just add a little bit of exercise to that, sure. now I think that's a better formula than the other way, than eating bad. Which eating bad, it's in the system, right? So things in your in your body leave behind residue. They're okay, you don't totally excrete every last bit, but if you keep getting the same bad stuff in there, what happens to the tissues and yeah, they right. mutate yeah. and everything? And even if you exercise more, yeah, you're kind of getting the benefits cardiovascularly, musculoskeletally, but for the other aspects, your digestive response and those tissues staying healthy and flushed and fiber, you're not really getting all that. So as you know, the three main topics we're looking to accomplish or cover or bring light to, right, from having this podcast are gender inequality, racism, and economic inequality, right, which I'm sure we both experience on all ends, right? Mm-hmm. So let's touch on briefly gender inequality, right? And we could use the NFL as an example. Women in the NFL, women in the coaching departments, women in the recovery departments, women in the front staff, GM. What's your opinion on that? Do you think it's going to be more dominant as time goes on? And is there a push to get more women involved? I think in general, and what actually touches on all three, it's a diversity you know, initiative in the NFL. Is that By diversity, you mean women, black, white, whatever. Whatever status you come from. So it actually encompasses all that. And, you know, we've uh, I've been turning with people that have had, you know, had not to deal with a lot of those things and I've had some that dealt with more than I than sure. I have. And so now there will be, you know, there's obviously the effort to diversify. Okay, amongst head coaches they have that Rooney rule which you have to interview process, interview at least one minority head coach that addresses things on like that as well as that kind of like a check checked it off. Well, yeah, in that in that in that respect. And it's not the you know, it's enforced somewhat, but you know, it's not, you know, it's up to the NFL and how, and how they deal with that. But I think the initiative to include more women in the settings that deal directly with players, I think, is is also an initiative and, and welcoming that they have. And, and they're doing a you know pretty good job at doing so. Do you think, former athlete, former athlete, do you think women are being protected by not being put into men's locker rooms? or men's training facilities from a different perspective, right? Obviously, I'm all for it. If you're the most qualified or you provide value, you should be there. But is it, in a sense, maybe protecting them? The word, I would say protecting them. I think for a long time, you know, a lot of things surrounding the NFL and is... Uh, stigmas. Stigmas. And, hey, if you have a female around, that's a distraction. But no, it's actually works in the other direction is that they actually help you, you know? Even in, in my profession as an athletic trainer, you know, they may be more apt to share something with a female athletic trainer than they will a male. So having a person there in that respect can actually help and add value to what you do as well as in any other department. 
that's out there. I mean, if they, if anyone can do the job, they should actually get the opportunity to do so at any level, whether it be a college, high school, professional ranks, even you go Olympic center, you know, and train with those guys who are on the military side that has athletic trainers as well. And whoever's the most qualified for the job deserves a shot. Obviously, there's racism in America. There's racism in sports, right? What's been your experience in the NFL in particular dealing with racism? I haven't really, I wouldn't say personally, dealt with it much. As you know, uh, there's been players that have been outspoken on, on a lot of things and a lot of topics and silent protests and doing things to draw attention to certain issues. Grow awareness. Yeah, to grow awareness for that. And that was not received by the masses very well. Do you think it comes down to truly a respect thing or a grow awareness thing? Like I know me personally, so I support growing awareness, right? It's part of the reason why I developed this podcast. And I also support our heroes, our troops, those that have died for our country. And I respect the American flag because I'm American, right? Mm -hmm. Now, I don't like our president. I don't dislike our president. I don't really care about politics. But is it a respect thing or is it people making something much more out of something just to have additional hate and divide, in your opinion? All right. So I'll take that uh, and, and I'll say this from a different perspective, okay? So when national anthems play, they want you to be in a certain respectful form. Stand up and hand over your heart. Correct, right? But... What about people in the stadium that have other functions, such as photographers or videographers that are moving at they're the not same doing time? Yeah, right? They're on their knee taking pictures. They're on their knee taking pictures and doing other things. But what do we say to that? No, they're just doing their job. Interesting. So from my perspective, actually standing and watching both at the same time, I say, well, how do you chastise these guys just because they're on camera? But you don't say anything about anybody else that's standing right in front of them. Who, who takes the picture of the guy standing there? Who yeah, takes right. the video? You're right. They're not paying attention. It's not paying They're attention. Doing their, job. doing their job. And so that that's that's kind of my perspective from that. And I probably haven't shared that with anyone else set for the wife. I think it's powerful. And super you, powerful. When you look at it, you like. Did you develop that on your own? Yeah, yeah. through observation. I'm sitting there. I'm watching it. Huh. I'm sit. I'm standing there, five yards behind the guys. The players stand in line, linking arms and. I'm like, hold on now. There's a lot of people moving here. But you draw attention to guys that aren't moving. That's just maybe taking it in. You know, I'm a little bit biased to them because I, I understand those issues. And I, and I grew up in some of those same sure. areas where sense. where it happens. And, and if I ignore it, then I'm ignoring where I came from, where I passed. And, you know, a lot of those guys you know, that, that talk the talk have never been in New York City stop and frisk. Ever. 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 So you, you talk about it and you don't experience something and there's a disconnect. Right. Well, I think, again, you can't really truly understand something deep down inside your heart until you experience it yourself. Yeah. You know, you have to experience it or be that guy that unfortunately went through that or saw that or witnessed that or was a part of that in order to be like, wow, this is right or wrong. Yeah. You know? Interesting. So personal, real quick before we wrap up. Just bought your first house. Congratulations. Three families. <laughs> Thanks. Yep. Took some time, but you found it. Yeah, took some time. Uh, I think it started actually, we first met, it was in 2016, right? And then, you know, I'll give a shout out to a good friend of mine, O'Neill Williams, who you don't even know, got your name and number from an associate that he's working as a real estate guy in Brooklyn and says, hey, if you want to know about something like this, what you're looking for, talk to Jeff. And I was like, 
Remember, you called me up on a weeknight. It was like 8.30. <laughs> I'm like, well, who the hell is this calling me up? So I call him up, and then, and then we meet. We have lunch, and then, you know, he outlays a plan. And I'm like, you know what? This actually makes sense. And looking back at it, I'm like, man, how did people not know this? Anyway, I won't, I won't unleash the plan. I'll let you do that at, <laughs> at a later date, right? So I'm then, sure will come out so, at some point. So, so, so then I'm looking at properties, and it takes me, and it's to everybody out there, and you can always call me about this. You get to talk to me about the journey, right? So you say 16, I just bought a 19, so that's three years. So it's yeah. almost 30, actually, since we met, 39 yeah, months, right? Until I actually put the pen, paper, signed, sealed, sure. and delivered. And what do you think held you back? Was it just not finding the right property, being scared, being in a good situation, having unknowns? What do you think yeah, really I, I, I think a lot of it had to do with me getting in there and just seeing their properties and locations. And then I was sold on certain locations and do, doing this. And I was like, man, I, I don't really feel comfortable doing this. Or I want to live in the property too. So I want to be able to, to commute to work and have a good, sure. uh, good balance there. And I just never found the right property. I'm like, yeah, I need to pull the trigger. And even the property that I'm in right now, initially, I didn't want it. Well, again, just to be clear, so you have your own beautiful house. Now you have two tenants yeah. essentially covering 75% of your mortgage payment. And you're living for $1,000 a month, give or take, mm-hmm. plus or minus. Mm-hmm. Opposed to paying rent, which how much you were paying rent before? Twenty two fifty. So you're saving twelve fifty or so off the bat. A and month. you have tax deductions and you have a house. Yeah. Yeah. So now, so now I'm in that category to get all that. And, you know, we even talked about earlier about, you know, with the, the next one. Cro- <laughs> cro- well, yeah, get the next one. But the, the cost of real estate and eating well and doing all the other things that you want to do that sure. costs a little bit more money. And that's a way and a vehicle for you to do so. Right. And then, yeah. And then now I'm, I'm actually thinking about the, the next one. Right. And I, I haven't even fully moved into this one. Now we're all set. But, you know, it's just one of those things. I'm like, all right, man, this is exciting. And, and I really want to delve more. So into for you this. women out there that may like what you heard so far, you're not going to like what you're about to hear. So my man over here, actually, with the NFL season coming. <laughs> Up. He has a baby coming due in the next what next one couple to days. three weeks, maybe give or take, maybe twenty four hours to a month, give or take. Yeah. Probably sooner to one sooner. day or so. It's sooner. So now you go back to the NFL, you leave your wife home with your f- almost five year old and newborn baby, and you're back into the season, back into the swing of things. So now, women, you might not like him anymore, but uh, <laughs> listen, I promise you, he is a great guy. And uh, what are some tips, real quick, before we again close up? work-life balance how do you balance being you know on the road for 16 17 20 weeks straight right grinding pretty much every day of the week early mornings late nights and having a newborn at home man you got to have a great partner it all starts out with the wife dana she's awesome she's great she's a mom she's a friend she's an entrepreneur a fantastic sister she is the real deal way more talented than i am so she's your rock oh more, she's the mountain. <laughs> she's like the mountain. And balancing that out when you work 75, 80 hours a week is not an easy thing to do during a season. Um, you have certain days where you might be able to get out early and help out and chip in. But uh, like training camp, you're rolling, you might roll 85, 90 hours a week and you know not really home much. And you got to have that one person that's really there to really stabilize the home and take care of things. And you know, some family members will help out and uh, try to give her a break. But, you know, it's tough in that work-life balance. And even I, I can't do certain things that I want to do, sure. you know, in my spare time, which is why real estate actually affords me something where it's it's relatively passive. I mean, there's some active involvement yeah. that you have to do some stuff, but relatively passive, brings some income, and then you can have a better lifestyle and you got money for now, you got money for later. And, sure. you know, it's it's a great vehicle to allow us to do so. 
as we discussed earlier, we're going to end every episode with something that you're going to leave, one thing you're going to leave the listeners to in order to deposit that, right? So one heavy hitter that you're going to drop them with that they need to take right to their memory bank. What is it? All right. So for today, it's going to be do something. Don't just stay there and do nothing. Get educated on something and dive right into it. So do something. Do something. Right or wrong, just do it. Do so. Well, you should probably do it in the <laughs> right way. We love right or wrong, but, you do it. <laughs> you know, but you're not going to know until you do it. Do something. Act on it. Learn about it and act on it. And if you really want to do it, just get after it. Just get after it. Awesome. Well, it's been great having you on the show, ladies and gentlemen, Ezra Bryson. All right. Thanks. Thanks for hosting me, Jeff. Really My appreciate pleasure. it.